You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with a goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. You know, in that operating agreement with the details and, okay, how are we going to, when we buy out a partner, what's the payment schedule like? You know, how are we going to utilize all these different things? And we made mistakes there with payment schedules and buyout schedules that looking back at it, we're like, why did we do that? Like, this doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense. Like, why would we choose an option that we don't like? And I think we did it at the time because we were like, okay, which of these options would keep us from wanting to buy each other out, right? Like, which would keep us together? Right. You kind of have to realize operating agreements aren't designed to scare you into staying together. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. The Bug Bucks podcast is a podcast designed to help you become a bug money millionaire. Today's episode is brought to you by Bug Bucks Plus, the number one course designed to help you start and grow your pest control company. I'm your host, Alan Draper, and I've got my main man, Eric Bassett, here with me. Eric and I are dedicated to providing you with the best resources to help you on your journey to success. Before we begin, I wanted to remind everybody listening that the best way to receive new episodes is by subscribing to our show on your preferred platform, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you love the show, please give us a rating and review. And one last reminder, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, go to Bug Bucks, that is B-U-G-B-U-X on Facebook. We love to hear from our listeners. And it's just a great community where you can chat, ask questions, and just be involved in the pest control industry throughout the United States and elsewhere. So what do you have for us, Eric? What's going on today? All right. So today we are diving back into questions from our Facebook group. And uh, Tyler Rawlinson posted this question. This is his request. He wants a full episode on the biggest mistakes that we've ever made. He would love to hear what we've done wrong over the years so that they can avoid it going forward. So this should be a good episode. Plenty of content for you here, Tyler. Alan, you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, I, you know, and he said mistake, right? As in singular. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair question because we can kind of talk about the specifics. But I was trying to think of like, okay, let's think of, you know, one mistake. And obviously, everybody listening knows we make mistakes all the time. It's on a daily basis. I always say that, you know, your growth trajectory where you're going and how you're progressing is in direct correlation to how much, you know, you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. You're making mistakes. You know, the folks that aren't really growing their pest control companies for whatever reason, justifiably or not, they just decided that, you know, they just want to put things on cruise control. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're probably making fewer mistakes than somebody like myself. But in terms of just the biggest mistake, Eric, it would have to be with, you know, something how I mishandled one of my partners. Has to be. And with proof, I currently have four partners, but some have come and gone. And there's one in particular that I think that I just would do things differently now. And if we're talking about biggest mistake in terms of impact, it would have to be that, even though there's no dollar signs on it, right? There's no dollar amount that that mistake cost me. I have 
other mistakes, you know, I've talked about this before, but I printed the wrong phone number on our flyers year one, wasted about $10,000 or something like that. Maybe it wasn't that much, maybe it's 6,000, but $6,000 year one to a business is a big deal. But in terms of biggest mistakes, I think they're always going to revolve for me around personnel. I hired a sales manager years ago and he was just a terrible fit. And I was going to say terrible person. And that might be the case. I don't think I can go that far. He was just very inappropriate and said stuff, completely changed our culture. So in terms of hiring people, I made some really big mistakes. But I think in terms of personnel, and this goes with my partnerships as well, my biggest mistakes have been thinking that I could easily replace somebody that was good or you know, I've had many people just like you have where they want more money. They want, you know, to fill challenge. They want to, you know, apply for a promotion or whatever. I look back and I'm like, man, I should have just given it to them. But there's something about us where we're like, you know, I can go find somebody better. We think that the grass is greener principle only applies to employees. But it applies to us also. Our employees, you know, they're out looking for other jobs and they think they're going to get a better opportunity. In some cases, they will. But it applies to us also. We think, hey, you know, I've got this manager that's thinking about quitting or wanted a promotion or whatever. And we're like, oh, we'll find somebody better anyway because they're like a known quantity. And here's the thing is that the known quantities are actually the lesser of the two risks, right? Like you already know. Because when you're interviewing somebody, you're going through this process. I always say that they will never be better than they are during that process. So wherever they are, when you're reviewing their resume, when you're interviewing them, just know that, you know, and I say this as optimistically as possible, Eric, but it's all downhill from there. I'm so glad that you bring up personnel issues. And kind of speaking of that resume scenario, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, there's a saying, probably something my wife says, or just something from like the women's kind of fashion shopping world. But if you try something on in the store, and you don't love it in the store, you're never going to wear it at home. Hmm. Right. So it's like, when you're interviewing people, you have to realize that that person is trying as hard as possible to land that job. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're not really in love with that candidate, if they don't shine for you right then, it's only downhill from there, most Mm -hmm. likely. Right. Every now and again, you get really lucky where you find somebody who it's just a diamond in the rough and they turn out to be a rock star and that's cool. But yeah, I've had some awkward interviews, between. you know, with like administrative positions. I've had some awkward interviews. They weren't very social and they ended mm-hmm. up surpassing my expectations. But I think, you know, you just go into the with the mindset of, hey, they are here to tell me what they think I want to hear and just yeah. take it at face value. The other thing I thought was awesome is that you brought up partnerships. You know, I've been through now two partners that we've bought out. And what's funny is like in the beginning, especially when you're a growing business and you have an opportunity to bring on a partner and like all you see is opportunities, right? You're like, oh man, like they're going to bring money. They're going to bring, you know, assets. They're going to bring expertise and Mm -hmm. time. And you look at all these awesome things that they're going to bring to the table. When we brought on partners, you know, we had operating agreements, which is a really, really smart thing. If you guys are mm-hmm. thinking about bringing on partners and you haven't had the operation agreement talk or partner agreement talk, you need to have it. But even then, we still made mistakes, you know, in that operating agreement with the details and, okay, how are we going to, when we buy out a partner, what's the payment schedule like? You know, how are we going to, 
utilize all these different things. And we made mistakes there with payment schedules and buyout schedules that looking back at it, we're like, why did we do that? Like, this doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense. Like, why would we choose an option that we don't like? And I think we did it at the time because we were like, okay, which of these options would keep us from wanting to buy each other out, right? Like, which would keep us together? Right. You kind of have to realize operating agreements aren't designed to scare you into staying together. That's a horrible (laughs) idea, you know? They're designed to provide you favorable conditions and easy conditions to split up the partnership if Mm -hmm. that's what really comes down to it, right? And what allows the business to continue on if that's the case. So we made some problems with partnership agreements. So I would say that right off the bat is a mistake that we made is being a little short-sighted when it came to the partnership agreement situation and just partners in general. You know, you you look at scenarios like money was a big thing for us when we were young. Mm-hmm. We had some opportunities to bring on partners that were going to front cash, which is awesome. You know, you look at your business and you're like, man, I could do so many things if I just had a you know few hundred thousand dollars and you bring on a partner and you kind of realize that once that money is like come and gone, like that partner has to be able to provide everything else that you were hoping for. And if you're not clear in the beginning about what those things are, duties, responsibilities, and their vision and what they're going to bring to the table, then you quickly realize that this is not a sustainable, not a fair situation, right? That was kind of a big thing. It was operating agreements and partnerships. Another thing that came down to personnel, and this was a door-to-door situation, is that we didn't know it at the time, but we were kind of treating door-to-door reps like employees. So we were essentially misclassifying those people into the wrong category. So for example, Mm -hmm. you know, we had a schedule that we kept when we said, Hey, you know, this is your knocking schedule. This is how you need to do it or whatever. And we were providing apartments for these guys and everything else. But I remember there was a couple of guys that we got really mad at because they decided not to go out and knock one day. And, you know, we were kind of pissed about it. And we brought them into the office and we were basically saying like, Hey, like you have to go out and knock, you have to adhere to the schedule. Like you have to do these things. You know, and like, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm realizing now, like, I am saying things that cannot be said, right? And you have to understand how to say them. So one of our problems early on was, we didn't know the difference. I mean, we kind of knew the differences, but we had never looked at that IRS checklist, right? The, hey, you know, look through these things and see kind of where you fall between W2 and 1099. So looking back at that situation, I realized, dude if these guys really had a problem and they wanted to go to court and they wanted to quote me saying the things that I said, then I would probably be on the hook for paying their taxes plus penalties. So that's just another one of the mistakes that we've made with that. How about you, Alan? What's some other mistake you've fallen into? Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool that you brought up the operating agreement and what people that aren't attorneys are learning if they work with agreements is that a lot of what's in there comes from issues that have happened in the past. So if you're looking at a lease and there's a really weird clause about like, you know, vicious animals or not having, you know, bringing tigers onto the premises or whatever. And you're like, what is this about? It's probably because there was some litigation in the past that led to it. And I was kind of chuckling to myself when you were talking about the operating agreement and how you guys designed it to kind of keep everybody together I was chuckling for a couple of reasons. One is my operating agreement with my partners has changed 
over the years. So pretty much every single new one we draft, there's a clause or two in there that just goes over things that I hadn't thought of when I originally drafted it, but it's applicable. You know, one of them is the payment schedule that we agree to after, you know, somebody sells their interest or whatever. I also think it's funny because I kind of had that same perspective of, hey, the operating agreement is for, you know, this partnership to never end. Eric, I had a hard time in the beginning, especially with our first partner that left, that sold his interest and and we're friends and everything. We text and told him happy birthday just, you know, a few days ago. But it was this weird feeling like, wait, why would you ever want to leave? And some mm-hmm. people think they look at a partner that leaves as a failure. You really shouldn't. Not all businesses are meant to last forever. That's really weird for me to say. Those words coming out of my mouth are very weird. Not all businesses are meant to last forever and not all partnerships are meant to last forever. And it's almost like when you go into a partnership or you build a pest control company that you're using it as a stepping stone. And I really don't like those words because they almost seem meaningless. But if you build a pest control company and you build it with people that you like, it's going to be a vehicle for you to, you know, do something great with your life, wherever it takes you. I didn't realize that in the beginning. I thought if this partnership doesn't last for 30 years, then it's a complete failure. And it's not true. It's not true. Things change. And these are things that need to be need to be discussed and kind of thought about in the process of creating a partnership and and preparing an operating agreement. And because we're talking about mistakes in this episode, these are things that, that are very applicable. If you have a partnership and you don't have an operating agreement, just do it now with some of my partners in the past. Like when we first started, we didn't have operating agreements. And it's just really nice to... And I thought, Eric, one of the reasons why I didn't want an operating agreement was because even though I'm a lawyer, is I didn't want it to be this thing where the partners get in an argument and you know, I break out the operating agreement. I'm like, yeah, on page 33 in paragraph four, subsection A. And what I realized is, at least with me and my partners, we never looked at it. It wasn't for that. It was for, you know, these extreme circumstances. When somebody decides to leave, something happens with, you know, there's a catastrophic event, something like that happens. That's a great point. You know, I think if you have partners and not everybody that listens to this has partners, but if you do, and I'm not telling you that you should just because I do, because partnerships are not for everybody. Some people just can't stomach them. I couldn't do it without my partners. But if you do have partners, make sure you have an operating agreement. And ultimately, if you get your partnership right, most other things will follow in order and you'll still make mistakes. But I think ultimately, you know, my biggest mistakes, I've made some bad financial moves. I've made some financial moves in pest control that have lost, you know, large amounts of money, which to me is, you know, several hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. Some people that may not be. For some reason, when somebody says, hey, on what's your biggest mistake? I don't think about money mistakes. I think about people mistakes. And I think it's because it's not just financial. Money will, you know, it's inert. It will come, it will go. But relationships... Those are things like when people say, hey, Alan, what are some of your big, biggest mistakes? I immediately think about people. I think about people that I hired that harm the culture of proof. 
because money can't buy that. I think about partnerships that didn't work out. I mistreated or whatever, because money can't fix that. And so it really comes down to, you know, for me, just, just knowing that, right. Just knowing like, Hey, going into this, if I'm five years down the road, am I going to be happy with the way I'm talking to my partner right now? And it's really hard when things are tough, when, you know, mistakes were made or there's emotions, you know, running high. But I think this is a general life principle too. If we get things right with the people in our life, I don't know that, you know, any other mistakes really matter too much. And just like you said before, like our partnership agreement, you know, with the partners that I have now, we've never pulled it out. You don't pull out an operating agreement and be like, hey, here's how we're going to run meetings or here, here's how much time off you have, even though I guess technically that stuff could be in there. You probably have a way of operating with your partners in a way that's pretty simple day to day, right? That's all squared away already. You've got an operating agreement to protect you in situations, just like you said, you know, catastrophic situations, buyout situations, new partners coming in situations, maybe, right? And uh, it's probably the same reason why we still have, you've got contracts between your partners, you got contracts between employees, employee agreements, right? You got employee handbooks. You've got all these things that you never really have to look at unless you need to look at them. Mm -hmm. And they're important to have because they back you up legally in case situations happen that are outside your realm of expertise. So, you know, thinking about it now, you know, just like you said, I've made some marketing mistakes, like money mistakes. Like we've tried out. In fact, dude, if you're not making mistakes marketing, (laughs) are you really even marketing? You know what I mean? Like you have to be making some mistakes. Every year we try something new. There's like a 50-50 chance that we waste tens of thousands on something dumb, you know? And it's like, you have to be trying new stuff. Otherwise, like you're never seeing what actually works or not. And it's always cool if you get like a marketing partner who's like, dude, I've tried it. But somewhere down the line, somebody has lost money on that marketing problem. I laugh because we're constantly losing money trying to figure things out. And I don't look at that as a mistake. If I'm being proactive, I'm like, hey, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. We recently started running some Bing ads just to test it. It just Mm -hmm. fell flat on our face. It was for, and maybe (laughs) those work for somebody. We tried them years ago and I told our marketing manager, hey, I don't think this is going to work, but I give them the autonomy to learn and Mm -hmm. we did okay. But, you know, with marketing generally, there was a month a few years ago where we completely wasted $20,000 just, and I looked through the AdWords that like the keywords that they clicked or that brought up the ad. And it's like, we were so far off in left field. So yeah, so marketing (laughs) definitely is on that list. And I think the way to do it is with marketing. So I always talk about how you manage with the macro and you Mm -hmm. solve problems with the micro. With marketing, I would say, at least in the beginning, while you're getting new campaigns and stuff set up, especially if we're talking digital marketing, you need to manage with the micro and, and make sure that things are, you know, be looking at that day by day at least until, and that's one of the mistakes that I made as I wasn't, I was like, okay, let's run this for a month and then look. And by that point, you know, that ship had sailed. Yeah. Like, you know, in in the beginning, like in February, March, when we're looking at kind of like fine tuning the last little bit in details of our marketing, you know, campaigns and kind of what we're going to be doing this next year. And I think I usually have projections and most of that stuff squared away by like January. Mm -hmm. But I always look at my budget and I just know that there's a portion of that budget, a percentage of it, that's just not going to give me anything. But I guess I take that back. 
it gives me information, which is, I think, very valuable, right? If something tells me that it doesn't work, that it's not a fit, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I didn't get any like what you would call financial ROI, but I did get information, which is valuable. I'm never going to try that guy again, (laughs) you know? We've wasted money on radio ads. We've wasted money on YouTube ads. We've wasted money on just different things in general. And I'm not saying that this stuff, like you said, it's not like it doesn't work for anybody. It just didn't work for us at the time. And it gave me information to know where I needed to put my money for things that did work. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking back. I remembered one other mistake that we made. This is hopefully one that you guys can definitely avoid. We had this technician, I think it was actually even like a upper level manager position. And we were super young and the technician was upset about the pay and all the rest of our technicians, I didn't think that they were upset about what they were getting paid, but he like got them all riled up and stuff. And he started talking about like striking, like going on strike. And uh, he was just being a total jerk at the time. And so we actually fired him. We were like, Hey man, like, dude, you're messing with our culture. Like you need to get out of here. Right. And so we fire this guy and he gets an attorney and we quickly figure out that if an employee is going to strike, or is like is planning on going on strike, and you fire them in that process, like there are legalities that come into play. Anyway, long story short, uh, we may or may not have been sued. <laughs> you know, if you ever hear the words strike, and you're dealing with an employee that you don't like, and you're thinking about letting them go, definitely consult an employment attorney before you do any of that. And you can avoid that kind of mistake. In fact, that might be just one thing, word of advice to give everybody. When it comes to like hiring and firing and having a handbook and knowing what to do in those kinds of scenarios, having an employment attorney that you can trust, you can talk to, that's a good call. Don't skip out on that. Yeah. So, and most people know that I own a law firm. It's located in Arizona. So, and each, you know, state's a little different. But one of my partners, that's his specialty, is employment law. So it's really funny, like, (laughs) talking to him because he's always, like, saying things like he's looking out for stuff because he's, you know, he helps litigate these cases. So so if you're in Arizona, you have a question about uh, employment law or something, definitely reach out to me. We can get you going and we can get you a referral for another state. But, you know, I think that's a great point. As we've kind of had this conversation, Eric, I've thought of about a a bunch of the mistakes over (laughs) the years. But sometimes, you know, to your point about digital marketing and learning what not to do, sometimes that's the most valuable information because Mm -hmm. a lot of business is this process of elimination. And I've told this story before, but there was this insurance agent I was getting a quote from. She was asking me some questions I didn't know the answer to. And I was a couple of years into proof. And she said, well, you're not supposed to start a business until you know the answers to everything. And I laughed, right? Because I'm <laughs> I'm almost 10 years into this. I feel like each year I know less because I'm yeah. I'm discovering there are more issues, right? Like what you just said about a strike. I'm a lawyer. I did not know that. Right. So anyway, it's when you make mistakes, and I think that's kind of the key takeaway here. In addition to, you know, some of the lessons we've learned along the way, is treat those mistakes as an opportunity to learn something. And the best way to do that is to take ownership for them. If you don't, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're putting other people in control of your life. So if somebody made a, just yesterday, so I'm shutting down my old Instagram account because I've discovered over the last week or so that bots are causing severe issues. And I was trying to just delete the bot followers and it just wasn't working. There were two, there are thousands of them. But I kind of got to the point where, and what happened was it was somebody that was managing my Instagram. 
that Mm -hmm. did at some point. It wasn't me, but it was me, if that makes sense. And because I hired that individual, I'm ultimately responsible. And if I have that perspective, I won't let it happen again. If I have the perspective of, oh, that this is definitely not my fault, I'm not going to be kind of on the lookout for making sure that doesn't happen again. So when you hire somebody, it's your fault if mm-hmm. there's a mistake that's made because it's, and at the end of the day, it's it's not really about whose fault it is. It's like, what are we learning and can we do better? And for me, the best way to do that is to take ownership when you make a mistake and realize that it's going to be okay. I remember some of my early mistakes, the one with the flyers where I'm like, okay, let's pack it up. We gave it a good shot. You know, proof is dead. <laughs> and it's yeah. like most of the time, even though the blood pressure soars and stress levels rise, you're going to be okay. You know, there are very few catastrophic mistakes out there. There are some, but most of the time, 90 plus percent of the time, just, you know, learn your lesson, apologize to whoever needs to be apologized to and, and move on. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, like mistakes are going to happen. It is inevitable. If you guys are listening and you're thinking, man, you know, if I could just build my pest control company and listen to bug bucks and join the Facebook group and avoid all these mistakes, Uh you know, that's a cool idea. And I really appreciate that you have that much faith in us, but you are going to make mistakes. It's part of the business process. It's part of the learning process and growing process. And there's one of my favorite quotes, and I'll probably butcher it and I can't remember who it's by, but it goes something to the effect of success isn't final. Failure isn't fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. The big thing to remember is you're going to have mistakes and some of them are going to be a lot more painful than others. Just move on, you know, take accountability, take responsibility. Hey, you know what? That's on me. And then forgive yourself and then get going, right? Move on, figure out what you need to change, change it and execute. 100%. Awesome. Well, great conversation today, Eric. Uh, For the listener, make sure to join our Facebook group, Bug Bucks, B-U-G-B-U-X. Get in there, ask questions. This question today came from that group. So let us know how we're doing, what we can talk about that will help you, that will directly impact your pest control companies. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you. And we'll catch you on next week's episode.